What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I was going to introduce you, Jim. This is Jim. He's been talking about doing this because he's on the road with his uh, job, and he just sits there and talks to the steering wheel, and he has been wanting to talk to you guys. Um, There's a lot of things that he thinks about that just really gets in his craw, and uh, so he wanted to get kind of a bull session going, and... uh, the whipping post. Uh, let me let me let Jim explain uh, why he wanted to do this show and what the whipping post means. Thanks, Glenn. Um, my name is uh, Jay Monty. That's what my friends call me. Um, the reason I wanted to do the whipping post: that things that are going on in the world today, uh, whether it be politics, whether it be everyday situations that we uh, deal with. Uh, it just seems like things are going in a bad way. And uh, to me, personally, there seems like there could be a lot of uh, small things that could be done to uh, help improve those type of situations, make life a little bit easier. I mean, let's face it. People are going through some tough times today, uh, financially, emotionally, spiritually, uh, you know, family problems. I mean, uh, it seems like there's just a lot of uh, a lot of depression out there. And one thing we wanted to do was uh, have a platform for people to be able to discuss uh, issues that they're having, whether they be uh, funny issues, whether they be serious issues, uh, you know, but just really have a sounding board uh, because a lot of us are are frustrated with uh, a lot of the things that are going out there. I think you can uh, relate to that, Glenn, right? Yeah, and people would have to know you, how you – when you hear news, if it's like doesn't have common sense to it or it's just ridiculous, you know, in the description we put, the inmates are running the asylum. And the things that go on with people with authority are just insane sometimes. And watching you, <laughs> you start pacing, you get mad, you get a, a furrowed brow. And, um, wow, you're quite a show in person just to watch. So um, we felt like we – you had to have a place to vent. And I think that's one of the things you said you want people to be able to do is uh, the whipping post is if there's a subject that we're talking about and you want to do some whipping, some complaining, some, uh, you know, I always heard don't do any of the three C's, which is criticize, condemn, or complain. Well, we're going to do all three. It's There's nothing sacred on this call. <laughs> you want to let out a little uh, F word or something like that, we've marked this. Uh, explicit language so people can call in and just be themselves or it's no holds barred but the other aspect of whipping posts is uh, you know sometimes we feel like we're whipped but you know if we want to do some whipping on the call we're going to do some of that too and anytime uh, we were just talking right right before we started the call you were talking about the drive-through restaurants (laughs) And how that irritates you. Now, you're on the road a lot, so I'm sure you go through the drive through window. What's been your experience? Well, I mean, you know, granted. Yes, I do go through the drive through um, you know, several times uh, a week, just like most people do. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to uh, go in uh, to restaurants, sit down. Uh, so, you know, they're a great, great source to grab something quick on the road. But um, my experience, excuse me, is, um, you know, a lot of times, and and folks, when I say this, I don't mean everybody. I mean, but I think anybody who goes through a drive-thru somewhat often, um, you never know what you're going to get. And I'm talking about anything from the way you're greeted, how how well that they take your order, uh, to do they get it right. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, You know, a lot of times it seems like these people that are working, or some of these people, rather, that are working at these restaurants, I mean, all they need is a heartbeat and a ride to work. 
I mean, seriously, uh, you've got a microphone, so you tell them what you want, how you want it. If you want anything special, no pickles, whatever, no salt, they see it come up on a screen. Uh, obviously, they're able to read. I hope they are. Um, and they tell you how much money it is. Well, debit cards are a, a normal way of paying for things nowadays, so really hard to mess it up. Um, although if you hand them cash and hand them a little bit extra so that you get back, you know, full dollar amounts, uh, you will see the deer in the headlights look. Um, a lot of times these people, you go in there and you just order something simple. Do you get it correct? <laughs> I would say 50% of the time. Some are, some restaurants are better than others, but, uh, you know, nowadays, it, it just seems like people, uh, they're no, they don't take pride in what they're doing. And uh, you get a lot of get a lot of bad attitudes. I mean, granted, I, I, I get the deal. I mean, you're working at Burger King or, or one of these places. I'm not just singling out Burger King. But, uh, you know, my thought is if you want to, you know, if you don't like working at Burger King, okay, quit. Find something else better to do. But understand what it is. It's Burger King. Man, it's there. You're there to make hamburgers, French fries, and, you know, and, and drinks and shakes. I mean, it's not rocket science. Um, but, yeah, I go through a lot of them, and uh, I've seen just stuff that I just couldn't believe. Um, I'll tell you tell you a quick story about a uh, time going through. Uh, now, I live in North Carolina, and I uh, travel through South Carolina as well, cover North and South Carolina, parts of it. Went through a uh, Long John Silver's, and I'm standing there, and there's an elderly couple in front of me, and elderly couples, uh, you know, 70, 75, they're slow. (laughs) Let's just face it, they're slow. They don't know what they want. They come in there, and they're trying to figure out how they can get the cheapest deal that they can share the plate. That's just what elderly people do. Uh, I'm standing there, and after about, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes, literally, uh, they finally decide. And the lady, she says, the girl behind the counter, she says, uh, you know, okay, it's going to be, uh, you know, $17 and, uh, you know, 28 cents or, or whatever, $13 and 28 cents. And so the guy hand, hands her, um, pulls out a 20 out of his pocket, and she just goes ahead and punches it in as it's $20 is what she's getting. Well, the old guy, you know, he pulls out another $2 and, uh, you know, like 70, 72 cents and hands, hands it all to her. And she just, the deer in the headlight look, she literally started shaking. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is she having a seizure or something? No, no. What it was is she had already punched in $20. She couldn't back it out, and she had to think and do the math. What the old guy, I'm serious. What the old guy was trying to do was he was trying to get, um, you know, $10 back or something, and she could not figure it out. And what she said next, just completely my jaw dropped. She says, uh, sir, she she pulls out some money and she goes, is this right? She asked the old guy, the customer, if that was the right change. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. What does she do next? The guy goes, huh? You know, he doesn't realize what she's asking. She looks to the woman and the woman says, "Honey, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't understand." And she goes, "Folks, I shit you not." She said, "Folks, I I'm sorry." She says, "I'm not real good in with math." She says, "My mama's always telling me I shouldn't be working around money." <laughs> wow. I mean, unbelievable. But you know what was even worse because when she said that, and I'm thinking to myself. Do they not train these people? While this was going on, I heard through the drive-thru speaker, 
the, the person in the car having to repeat back the order two and three times and correct the person who was taking the order. And the person taking the order kept saying, oh, it's my bad. I'm sorry, sir, my bad, my bad. And I'm thinking, geez, Louise, they need some, you know, they need some training here. Where's the manager? About that time, the man, this lady comes from around the, around this kind of counter, the high counter where you can see her. And what do you think her title was? Manager. Store manager. Unbelievable. I could not. Wait, wait, wait. The, the, which one? The, the one at the window messing up or the one at the counter? Yeah, the, the, one, the one at the window messing up, the one I could hear but ah. I couldn't see. I'm thinking, where's the manager? You know, is the manager gone or something? I mean, do they not train these people? And she comes around where I can see her, and I look at her badge, and it's like, you know, hi, I'm Wanda, store manager. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you got to be kidding me. So when I get up there, I pay with a debit card. Bet your ass I looked at my receipt just to make sure that this, this girl didn't mess it up. I didn't know how she could, but you never know. I mean, I see stuff like that all the time. It's amazing. Um, at least she was nice. Most of the time, you don't even get that. Um, you, know, you know, if you've got to go somewhere and you want to get it your way, you're probably going to get bag fucked. You're going to get it their way or however they want to uh, give it to you. I mean, what about you, Glenn? I mean, you you go to Mexican restaurants and things like that. I mean, you know, what kind of experiences have you had? Well, I got a few my, myself. One that really gets my goat is Wendy's. I, I like their hamburgers and everything tastes good. But um, if you order a, you know, a single all the way, um, or if you just order a single, you just pull up, you talk to the speaker, and you don't specify no cheese. They automatically put cheese on there. To me, that's an upgrade, and um, they just put it on there automatically. Then half the time, no matter what I order, I say half the time. <clears throat> it's probably a little less than half the time. I'd say a third of the time. <clears throat> I drive off, and I'm eating, and I'm like, hey, where are my fries? You know, Or I get an order of fries or an apple pie or something I didn't order. It's like... A couple of times I've gotten somebody else's order, you know, like it's like three people. And when I get the bag, I'm kind of excited, but I'm eating somebody else's order. I always learn what you do. Say um, somebody hands you a 20, and it's uh, 1762. Just start pulling money out. The first word you say out of your mouth is 1762, and just start counting up with change in your box until it's $18. Then you throw another dollar and it's 19 and you throw another dollar and it's 20. You don't even have to know math. So they ought to at least teach them that. The other thing is I was listening to these guys uh, talk about, um, it, it's called the no agenda show. I love these guys. And um, they, they do all these recordings from the news and there's this guy complaining. He's like a minimum wage worker at a fast food restaurant. And he, Everything's so socialistic and entitlement, you know, privileges are, are just assumed these days when kids grow up. And uh, we call the recording Noodle Boy, and he works at some noodle factory. And the guy uh, was doing an interview, and he says, oh, yeah, I don't think this is right where you have the boss making all the money and the owner making all the money, and we just get minimum wage. And he says, what do you suggest? And he says, well, it's, the workers need to unite around the world. We all need to unite together. And, um, well, what about the, the owner? If you guys are running the show <clears throat> at the bottom level, what do you do about the owner? He says, well, as long as he's fair, we'll let him have input in his restaurant. <laughs> You've got to shit, man. <laughs> dead serious. And you just listen to it, and if you have any – age on you at all you just think back to the mentality of when we were teenagers completely different than it is now this entitlement society will just drive you absolutely crazy you know and that's a good point you bring up i mean glenn i can i can totally agree with that uh you know these first off it is a minimum wage job 
you don't unless you're going through the, a management program or something like that. Uh, that's what I don't understand. These these younger generations now, and I'm not going to say all because you can't you can't do that. There are a lot of smart young people out there that have a head on their shoulders that get it, but there are a lot of people that don't get it. You don't go to work at a fast food place, uh, especially a fast food place, and expect to make, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. It doesn't happen. Those are entry line, entry level jobs. Um, you know, you've got to work your way up. Uh, maybe that's something that's foreign to a lot of these people nowadays, uh, especially the younger generation. Uh, you got to put in your time. That's the way your folks did it. Your grandparents did it. Your parents. Um, there is nothing for free just because you're in a shitty job. Uh, you know, take, for instance, this $15 an hour minimum wage they want to pass. Um, yeah, I guess if you're the guy who's washing dishes for minimum wage, it sounds great. But my opinion, uh, and it's just simple Simple economics. If you got to pay the people $15 an hour minimum wage to work there, well, where does that come from? How do you make up for that? Uh, is the owner going to take money out of his pocket, uh, out of his profit to pay? Well, he may have to a little bit maybe, but eventually prices are going to have to be raised. Well, when prices are raised, all of a sudden the demand for your product is not as great. And then and if the demand for your product is not as great, well, guess what? There's not gonna come. You've priced yourself out of the market. Now people, you know, when the dollar menu goes to the three dollar and fifty cent menu, <laughs> you know, you you're gonna have problems. Um so all of a sudden guess what? Sales are down. We're not as busy. We don't need you. So now you're out of a job. I mean, really, is that the way that, you know, you should go about this? I don't think so. I mean, I'm all for people, you know, making a little bit more, no doubt. And if you've been there, uh, I've been a good worker on time, doing a great job, um, being as pleasant as you can, uh, you know, great. You should get a raise. $15 an hour? I mean, really? <laughs> you got to that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And I and I tell you what's going to happen too and it's already starting to happen. These automated automatic uh, or automated um kiosk systems that they're having uh installed. Um listening to the news the other day, Glenn, I heard in China they have a KFC that does not have any human workers in it. Everything is done by robotics and automated machinery. You go up, you punch a button, it greets you. Uh, the machine greets you. It's uh, something like out of the, uh, uh, you know, like the kiosk at the airport. You know, you go up, they you punch in, stick in your credit card, they ask you, uh, you know, your name, you punch it in, basically same thing. And, you know, they say it's going well. Well, what does that say for all the workers that uh, in the fast food industry if it starts catching on? Wendy's is already doing something like that. Uh, is it, you were telling me about that, correct? Yeah, I was reading that article, uh, you know, in California. The, the states are being more aggressive right now, especially the, the left coast and, and urban cities like New York and Chicago and any big city. But anyway, California, I believe, has passed or is right at the verge of passing $15 minimum wage. So Wendy's solution is, wow, we've got these kids. They, they take drugs. They, they, they shoot YouTube videos where they're naked on the counter. And, and next thing you know, America freaks out thinking, wow, is this where they prepare our food? But then you automate the process. <clears throat> There's some upfront expense that it eliminates these pain-in-the-butt you know, entitlement kids, and now they're out of a job and there's no entry-level jobs. So they've priced themselves out of a job. So people, I mean, where's the money come from? It's got to come from somewhere. Like you said, it's got to come from the profit. The business has to be profitable in order to pay the people. So 
Yeah, I can understand the feeling of wanting more money than that, but you can get a different type of job. And the other thing you can do is follow a lot of these gurus' advice is, uh, you know, find something you're passionate about, something you love, and um, in your spare time when you get off your part-time job or your minimum wage job, whatever, <clears throat> study it. Man, I tell you, you can go to YouTube, and one thing I love about YouTube is people put out tutorials to learn things uh, that you used to have to pay money or go to a seminar to. And uh, it's just amazing what you can learn on YouTube. It, it'll, it just blows you away. So what you do is when you're at home, you continue pursuing something you're passionate about, and you do that on the side, and that will create more money. Um, but a lot of people, they just want to go home and, okay, I'm done with work, you know, and forget about it. But uh, unions also, I saw years ago, it freaked me out that, um, you know, I'm from the South, and we're more of a right-to-work state, so we don't have as many unions uh, in the Southern states. So I got to admit, you know, I'm a little bit of an alien to unions, and I'm sure they've done a lot of good uh, when they were abused you know, 100 years ago, whether it's child labor or, or what. Um, but I've seen unions protest and strike until their company goes out of business. And then they have no job, the whole company. But it's like a principal thing with them. And that is bizarre to me. You know, if, if you won't compromise and let the company still have a profit, um, and you're just so headstrong that you're going to put the company out of business and everybody loses their job, that's just insanity. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, because we do live down in the South, we don't have as many unions uh, as maybe they do up north. And at one time, I think unions were a, a great thing. They were very much needed. Um, you know, people were just getting, you know, just, just done dirty. And, you know, there was always the uh, the owners and the higher-ups that were making all the money, and it was, you know, basically like slave labor. You know, these guys were making nothing, and just, you know, they were just getting the short end of the stick constantly. Um and dangerous jobs too. They oh, they would sure. they were getting hurt because they wouldn't make the machinery safe to operate. They didn't care. They'll just put somebody else in that spot after he's dead or loses an arm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and nowadays, um, you know, unions uh, in in my industry, um, you know, I've seen unions uh, try to come into a uh, to a plant, and you know, they get run out. They get run out. And, you know, I think, and I'm not going to say all of them. I'm just going to, you know, because I don't know every situation uh, with every union out there. But a couple of things that I have seen, you know, join the union. We will, uh, you know, we will pay, uh, you know, if, if things go bad and we have to strike to get what we want, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. We're going to, you know, we'll pay for your house. We'll pay for your, you know, your house mortgage payment. We'll pay your car payment. You know, we'll give you some money to, to, to live on. Um, I don't really see that happening. Uh, basically, nowadays, uh, and I've talked to a few people who have been part of a union. Basically, all they want is the dues. That's all they want. They want the dues. And if you do work at a union, uh, if you do work at a place where the union, you know, is in there. Um, you know, what's wild, Glenn, is that a person who, like a manager, he cannot go and tell any of the union workers what to do. Like, I mean, seriously, I've had people tell me, hey, if you go into this place here, you're liable to see somebody sleeping on the pallets. Well, one of the supervisors or, or managers can't go and tell that guy to get his ass up and go get back to work. You're here to work. You're not here to sleep. Mm -hmm. No, you've got to go through the through the union representative there on site. He's the only one who mm. can tell them anything. And I mean, if if that that just blows my mind. I mean, here you're getting employed. You you have a job. You're making a. It, it must be a good wage because you're still there. But yet you're going to sit on your ass and you're going to go to sleep. And the guy who's in charge of keeping the production running, he can't even come up and tell you, hey, listen, you sleep at home. You're here to work. Get your ass back to work. No. You go back and, you know, now all of a sudden you've got to go tell somebody else who says, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. I mean, that's just total bullshit. Um, you know, another thing about unions, 
look at the automobile industry. And uh, I sold cars for several years and had a chance to tour um, a couple of uh, manufacturing facilities. Um, They were imports. But what amazed me was is that they didn't have unions, not like the automakers in Detroit. Um, When you came down to it and you looked and you saw how these people, they were Nissans, Hondas, you know, these folks, when you go into that facility, and first off, let's just even back up. You know, when the imports, you know, take Hondas, for instance, you know, back in the, you know, when was it, Glenn, back in the mid-70s? 70s uh, were definitely uh, when Honda started really catching on in America. You know, they were getting, and, and they were having to pay taxes to bring them over here. I mean, you know, if you wanted to buy a new Honda during that time, um, you basically put down a non-refundable down payment, and, you know, they would call you when they got something in. If you were looking for a gray one, you know, they would call you up. Hey, Glenn, you know, we've got a uh, we've got a yellow one, we've got a red one, a blue one, and a black one, um, you know, and three browns. Do you want one of those? No, I'm going to hold out for the gray one when it comes in. Okay. And that's basically how they did it. I mean, and they were getting basically sticker for these things. Um, but, you know, give it up to the Japanese. I mean, they got smart. Why are we going to pay all these taxes to bring our products over here? Let's just build a facility in one of these southern states, you know, that will give us tax breaks, that will employ the people, and we don't have to pay the tariff taxes coming in. And that's exactly what they did. I visited the one in Smyrna, Tennessee, Nissan dealership, and I'm going to tell you, it was amazing. When you go in there, these folks have it all planned out. They want their workers to be nothing but focused on work when they get there. They don't want anything else. Um, you know, getting in the way. Child care, they've got it. You need to bring your kid to work because the daycare center is closed or your babysitter is sick, not a problem. You need to go to a doctor. They've got them on site. They've got a doctor's office on site. If you need to go to the bank, not a problem. They have a bank branch there. They have uh, like a K&W or a Morrison's or depending on where you live, uh, you know, excuse me, um, type cafeteria. I want to say they even had a pizza hut in there. Everything is taken care of there. They have a gym. They encourage, you know, on your breaks. They had ping pong tables and foosball set up in the uh, associates area, you know, like the little areas where you keep your lockers. And with all of that, what I still couldn't figure out, but I did real quick, you know, especially when you start thinking about unions, why they can make a car, and I'm just throwing out, you know, fictitious numbers because uh, I don't know the exact number, why they could make a car for $45 an hour and Detroit, you know, is $78, $80 an hour. And it's because union pensions, you know, guys that, you know, that, that retire, they still get that big fat pension every year and not saying that they don't deserve it. If you put in 30, 40 years somewhere, yes, you deserve your pension. But, you know, that's the cost that you're going to pay. I mean, it's 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 crazy, but, you know, that's the difference. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of unions down here. Um, and, and I don't know if it's really good for this area or not because you see where where the, uh, you know, the automobile manufacturers uh, especially have been bailouts, things like that. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of them, they just, you know, took the money and, and then we still, you know, they still weren't doing well. I mean, that's why you see a lot of uh, imports on the road, you know. But That has pretty well taken over in the 70s. It was so painful, and we couldn't give away our cars, and all we do is create all these new you know, zero-interest financing and stuff to attract people. It got so bad, Hollywood even produced a movie called Gung Ho, and um, it showed the American workers basically fat and lazy, and you know, maybe it was a caricature, but you know, we were wondering, well, it's got to be something like that. What, what in the world is it? And it's like fruit. You know, there's... 
green fruit and it's not ready yet, and then there's a time when it's ripe and it's just right and it's it's working really well. <clears throat> but it looked like we went past that and got over mature and and uh, we went rotten, and so our workers were spoiled. And you know they tried to add the good old American theme to it in the end. I think it was Michael Keaton. He was you know one of the managers at this place that was losing money and. At the end of the movie, you know, America wins and it's red, white, and blue and everything. But, you know, that never really happened. Uh, Detroit has improved, uh, but l look at all the bankruptcies and the bailouts and the billions of dollars that were sent to them. And another thing is like electric cars. You know, there's been so much controversy over why don't we have an electric car? They were making them 100 years ago. And, you know, there's the petroleum people that – uh, buy the patents, raid offices. I mean, it looks like they actually kill inventors. And finally, it looks like we're getting some electric cars that are great. This Tesla thing has completely humbled Detroit. So Detroit's had to admit they were wrong when they destroyed that little cute car. I remember seeing a video. Danny DeVito loved his, I can't remember what they called him, like Z1 or something, um, <clears throat> E1 maybe for electric and he loved it, and they came and they crushed all of them. They took them away from you with people's fingernails going down the hood. They wanted to keep them, and I was watching this documentary, and Danny DeVito was, like, sick because he loved his car and felt great about, you know, uh, no emissions coming out in Southern California, and, and they, they, they took them all, and what they do? They, they went with gas guzzlers, and the, the Asian market continued to make for the American mar market even in, times when gas was cheap, they still had a selection of affordable cars. Um, <clears throat> it seems like no matter what kind of Detroit car I got in during the 70s and 80s, there was always the uh, place where you close the door, the handle, you pull that in. There was always a missing, uh, we used to have uh, roll-up windows. That was really common, and it was like you know, a big deal to get electric windows, but you know now it's pretty well standard. But back then, it was real common to see manual windows. Well, the handle would always be missing on American cars. So they put that stupid Delco radio in there, and the Asians were doing you know high tech stereos and you know surround sound, and and we're still living with the the Delco, which was just the same thing they've been putting in it for years and years and years. And it's just like we're so slow to catch on. Well, I think, you know, Glenn, and I can appreciate that. I will say this. Um, I think as far as how the cars have come about now um, and feature-wise, I think we're there. I think we're there. Um, you know, one thing that the, uh, you know, the the Asian car companies never really caught on with, uh, maybe Datsun did and Nissan did, uh, you know, they did the smaller, you know, the light-duty trucks. I mean, all your big pickups and, you know, one tons, three quarter tons, those have always been American. And, um, you know, the, the stuff they have in them now, it's amazing. I mean, they have, they have heated seats, air conditioned seats. They've got, you know, nav, they've got every time you put it in reverse, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the backup camera com <clears throat> comes on, um, you know, uh, I've seen them where the, the mirrors tilt down so that you can see, you know, the road, you know, the ground next to the truck. You can back up to a camper, to a hitch now, and it's going to sit there and beep when you get real, real close, and you know, you can see, yeah, I'm on it. I mean, there is none of this back up, pull forward, you know, back up, pull forward, none of that stuff going on. Uh, it's pretty amazing, the technology that they're actually putting out in the cars now. Um, but, you know, one thing that, you know, the Americans always did well um, was back in the, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 40s, the 30s. You know, I mean, they were, you know, those were the times when automobiles were, were just, you know, the most classic, the most beautiful, um, you know, the muscle cars, the, the big fins, you know, on the Cadillacs, uh, you know, those type of things. I mean, and look at the prices of them now. Holy cow. Have you seen this? Do you, do you watch any of the uh, Barrett-Jackson or anything like that, Glenn? If it's a real nice when it goes for a high price, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it's just funny, though, you know. Um, the cars that, you know, the Mustangs, uh, especially the Mopars, if you've got a, you you know, a, 
a Hemi Roadrunner or a Hemi Cuda or, you know, a Challenger or a Charger, you know, with a 426 A Cobra. A Cobra. (laughs) You know, the Shelbys, you know, the GT500s and GT350s. I mean, these things, Chevelles, Corvettes. I mean, you know, see what a a pristine 63 split-window vet goes for. I mean, these things, you know, they might have cost, you know, anywhere from, you know, 2500 to 6000 bucks back in the day. And now they're going for, you know, anywhere from, you know, 150 to, you know, to $400,000 and higher, especially for the, you know, the, the rare cars. Um, unbelievable. I mean, I know I'd love to have a, a building full of them. <laughs> yeah, like, like Jay Leno. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it, it. they always said, you know, that, that the home, when you bought a home, that was your biggest investment, and that was an investment that could, uh, you know, could gain equity. You know, you could make money off of it. It, it appreciated. Uh, now these muscle cars, you'd see more and more people, um, you know, buying these things for investments. You know, I get it nice to look at, but I really don't want a uh, a really badass Corvette or a Chevelle or a Mustang or, or you know, a, a, you know, a, a, a Barracuda or something like that or a Roadrunner that I've got to uh, just look at. I want to be able to drive it. But these guys that are, that are investing in these cars, I mean, it's amazing. Um, they are bringing high dollar. They're turning around and they're selling them. Uh, you know, they'll keep them for two, three years. They'll turn around and they'll sell them and uh, buy something else. I mean, it's amazing. Love cars, always have. Uh, but I, I wish I could afford some of them. <laughs> that would be great. Another thing that happened, and I got duped on this, um, manufacturing is just dead in America compared to how it was when, when I was a kid. And I supported NAFTA. I was surprised that Clinton was on board. I should have known at that point. And then we had Ross Perot saying we're going to have the sucking sound of everything going south. And then he gets out of the race because somebody threatened his life, and he bows out. And we never heard from another independent thinker. You know, all we get is cookie-cutter puppets. But that NAFTA thing has just destroyed jobs. So in America what's happening is like Ford's moving to Mexico uh, after the bailout money. We've got BMW here in Spartanburg County that's just rocking and rolling, and they were doing well even after the big crashes of like 2008, 2001. Who was doing well? It's the it's the really nice cars. They did well no matter what the economy was, and we were sucking air and moving our plants to other countries to become equal in in you know the cost of the car and to make a profit. But but now we've got no jobs to afford them, it seems like. So the middle class of America is just gone. It's terrifying. And once that happens, it just accelerates. And I used to live in Brazil, and what you've got is the have and the have-nots. And that creates a lot of uh, jealousy, which leads to violence. Uh, when I'm the, the week after I moved back from Brazil, a, a, an American friend of mine who'd married a Brazilian, he'd been down there 15 years, he said, oh, Glenn, he's a big guy, but he gets emotional. He has a heart for things. And he says, oh, Glenn, did you hear the news as you're leaving? I'm like, no, man, I'm just glad glad to be back. And, you know, I, I'm not even listening to the news. He goes, oh, man. He said, somebody comes up, holds up a lady. She's got her baby in the back seat, and they want her car at gunpoint. And this this uh, lady's terrified, and she goes, okay, let me get, okay, you can have the car. Just let me get my baby. They wouldn't even let her get her baby out, and she's, like, trying to grab the, the little baby seat in the back, and um, she can't get it undone. They're rushing her. They're threatening her. They got the gun to her head, and they end up dragging that baby tied up into the the seat belts of the back seat, and the baby drags down the road as they drive off in just a big red streak, and it's just terrifying. Well, that's something that a lot of visionary people see happening to America if we're not careful. And I think that has to be some of the appeal to the outsiders. We're so sick of the, the puppet masters like like Obama, hope and change. He gets in there, and there's all these recordings on YouTube, <laughs> which, which I love, where they do the comparisons of what people said during the campaign. 
and then you know what they say later like obama says you know you can put that in the bank and he's talking about oh you can take that to the bank is how he said it and what he's referring to is you know day one he's going to close gitmo and here we are getting ready to come to the end of eight years gitmo's still wide open you know whether you support that uh, facility or not i'm just saying that that was his intention but once he gets in there it's like you wonder what happens do they sit them down and tell them how the cow ate the cabbage? Why do these guys change so much? Do they come in really as true believers and think they're going to make a difference, and then somebody sits them down and says, here's how it's going to go, boy, because he hasn't been able to do it, yet he does all these other executive orders, many of which appear to me to be unconstitutional, but nobody stops him from those, but something like that. Did the military sit him down and say, here's how it's going to be? I mean, why can't we close that? He, he does everything else by executive order. He says, I got a cell phone and a pen and paper. So well, I, I don't know what's going on. Let's just uh let's just let's just address that real quick. Okay. First off, the guy is a fucking Muslim. Period. Um, you know, I've said it once, I've said it again, this is my opinion. Um, you know, Barack Hussein Obama. Now, I, I don't you know I know who Cassius Clay was before he converted to Muslim. That was Muhammad Ali. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, you know, his, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but, uh, you know, he converted to Muslim. And that's who he became. Um, I've never met, you know, it, I look at it like this, Glenn. I, I've, never, I've never met a, uh, you know, uh a Korean guy named Seamus O'Toole, he's Korean. You know, he's going to have a Korean-sounding name, you know, or, or whatever. I'm just saying, I'm just using that as a uh, as a uh, example. I mean, the guy, he does nothing good for America. You know, you ask what happens to these guys. Well, I got news for you. When you start off on the wrong foot, I mean, look who this guy, you know, all the controversy. Is he from this country? <clears throat> was he born here? Uh, look at his pastor. What is that, Jeremiah Wright? Yeah, that the guy. Was that the guy's name? <clears throat> his, uh, yep. his pastor. Roosters have come home to roost, guy. Yep, Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at look at this. You know, I mean, uh, look at this guy. He's a real piece of work, isn't he? I mean, debt to debt to the white people. You know, I mean, you know, what did he say? Goddamn America. You know that type of thing. I mean. You know, so look at what this guy surrounds himself with. I mean, at every turn, this guy has done something that is just idiotic. You can't, I mean, every time he does something nowadays, it's worse than the day before, and you find it hard to believe uh, that it can actually, you know, that you're actually hearing it. Um, you know, he cares nothing about Americans. He says, oh, we got better, you know, the, the budget is better, you know, the debt's down, we've got more people working. Shit. We've got less people working. I think we're at 95-plus million people that are out of a job. We've also got, you know, we're $19 trillion in debt, uh, more debt, uh, you know, than, than any, you know, all the presidents combined before him, Um I think his part, um, you know, listen, you want to talk about the executive orders? How many is it? I mean, shit, is he under a thousand still? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. Like I don't know 150 but... or something. <clears throat> I mean, surely there's got to be 50 more you can throw in there. I mean, if it's good for the American people, this guy does not want any part of it. But if it is good for Muslims, he's all for it. You know what? Yeah, we need to let these poor orphans. And these women come in, these Syrian refugees. We need to let them in. Well, the only problem is they're not three-year-old orphans and women. These are damn men who are military age, and you know what? You can't do it. You can't do it. We've already seen what people, uh, you know, are capable of. You can't do it. Um, you know, when people say, you know, radical Muslim, I would say, and this is my opinion, Barack Hussein Obama is the most radical of them all. He is a radical Muslim. He just doesn't tote a gun. You know, here we are giving Iran 
what is it, a hundred hundred uh, billion dollars or, or something like that for you know this Iran nuclear deal? Who in their right mind would give these people money so that they can go ahead and build nuclear weapons and use the shit against us? Who would do that? You got to be out of your fucking mind to do that. Um, you know, yeah, I'm starting to get a little pissed now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's your show, man. That's that's uh, what it's all about. Well, I, 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 I um, have to uh, agree that the likelihood of him being, um, you know, have Muslim sentiments, it's uh, pretty apparent. And, um, like, it, it's really weird. Like, like, the young people in Iran had an uprising, and we didn't support them at all. But you got Gaddafi, who had just been visited by his buddy John McCain. They met in a tent, and they're all buddy-buddy, and, and he'd complied with the rules not to be a terrorist and everything. But because he wanted to trade oil and euros or gold or whatever, um, it appears that people like Hillary and Obama supported the destruction of Gaddafi, and they, they got a video of Hillary laughing about it. She goes, uh, we came. Uh, we saw he died, <laughs> and she leans back in her chair, and I'm like, now that place, you know, it immediately went to the Muslim Brotherhood, which makes me very suspicious of her lifelong attractive companion whose mother and brother are deeply involved with the Muslim Brotherhood. It makes me wonder about Hillary, and maybe it all makes sense when you see what's happened um, to, to Egypt and, and, um, and, and what happened – to the Ambassador Stevens and, and you know, the, the, the cover-ups. It's just like, what is the agenda going on here? And why is Hillary um, so closely attached to a family that is with the Muslim Brotherhood and all they do is create problems? So now well, these places which we've, you know, supported the takeover of these people, we've left them in disarray. And I'll say that Bush, too, um, it, it's almost like, even Bush, when he went in, all gung-ho with America's support, and he's standing on a pile of rubble in New York with his little megaphone, and, you know, um, they're going to hear from all of us soon, you know, and everybody's cheering. But when we went into Iraq, it's like we didn't even know there were like three divisions of people that were going to end up fighting. We would have been better off if we'd never been in Iraq. So, I mean, what is the agenda and then you and I couldn't fly for several days while he let all of Osama bin Laden's family that he does business with get on planes and get back safely. <clears throat> and then you've got the consternation of these uh, uh, guys, they're called the Five Dancing Jews, where they were giving each other high fives, uh, video recording the towers coming down. And then they were caught, and they had explosives on their truck right at 9-11, at and um, they were detained for two months, interviewed and everything. And, oh, they said, well, we're on your side. We're, you know, uh, from Israel and we work for Mossad. <clears throat> and then they get back to their country after we release them. Nothing ever happens to this moving company over on the New Jersey, uh, right across the, the river there, the Hudson. Um, they, they let them go. And come on. I mean, explosives well, and everything. I just they, don't get they, what's going on. It's real easy, Glenn. It's real simple. You know, when it comes to politicians, they are out for personal gains. They, that, that's what it is. It's a big-ass pile of corrupt people. I mean, Hillary, one of the most corrupt. Bill Clinton, I mean, geez, Louise, really? I mean, you know, this guy is the biggest bag of douche out there. Uh, you know, Anytime, I mean, but look at—you don't even have to go back that far. Look at Paul Ryan. I mean, Paul Ryan. Here you go. You've got Speaker of the House. You know, the power of the purse. You know, these are the guys who, you know, we, we've got control. We can, uh, you know, some common sense in there. Nah, hell no. Everything that he stood for, as soon as he gets in there, it goes away, and they just cave and cower to Obama, and you know. Um, you know the, the libertarian, you know movement, and it, it's uh, it's crazy because Hillary. I mean, for one, she shouldn't even, you know, we shouldn't even be talking about her. 
she should be, you know, her ass should be in jail. I mean, there have been people that have been put away, lives ruined for far less uh, than what she has done. I mean, this lady, I mean, look at all the money the Clinton Foundation has made. She's she's uh, sold, you know, 20% of our uranium. Um, you know, it's awful funny, you know, all these, uh, you know, companies in these countries that we couldn't do, you know, that, that uh, we weren't doing business with. All of a sudden, when she was Secretary of State, somehow or another, that got lifted, and these companies were able to to do business. And who who profited? The Clinton Foundation. I, I mean, what what the American people? Telling, what were yeah. you telling Goldman Sachs? You know, uh, Goldman Sachs. What are you telling them that's so important that they're going to pay you? You know, three hundred thousand dollars or some ridiculous deal. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen her speeches. They're not they're not worth anything. Yeah, for 30 minutes? For 30 minutes? That kind of money? Really? Oh, you know what it is. It's payoffs. That's just like this whole bailout shit. All that was was payoffs to pay back the people who helped get uh, Obama elected. You know, and, and you know, it's going to be interesting because now we've got, you know, uh, especially, where I mean, we're in the middle of history, Glenn, with Bernie Sanders, you know, who, you know, you got a lot of young people behind him. I don't understand it. I mean, well, I do. They all want free shit. You know, everything's yeah, free. Exactly. We don't want it free. We want free college. We want this. We want that. We want the other. But we don't want to have to earn it. We don't want to have to, you know, uh, work hard for it. Um, you know, I don't think that they really listen to his message at all. I mean, this is a guy who, who wants to redistribute the wealth. So, you know, for this great, you know, free education that you want, that you think is going to land you this $100,000 a year job, uh, Bernie wants to give 70 cents out of every dollar you make away. So basically, you're going to be doing, you know, you're going to be doing the $100,000 worth of work for 30 grand worth the uh, uh, pay. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, that, you know, that is just the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. Uh, you know, if he were to get into office and power and get his agenda across, I mean, we're going to be Venezuela too. You know, and and it's sad because you think about you know a place like Venezuela. I mean, hell, they're rich. You know, soil rich. They had some of the best beef. You know, all, you know they had a lot of stuff going for them. Uh, well, look what happened. Uh, you know, when they voted, and uh, you know now. Now uh, dogs and cats and animals aren't safe in the streets because people don't have enough food to eat that they're killing dogs and cats and eating them. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's wild. Um, but I think, you know, nowadays, you know, if, if you're a politician and no matter how much you want to believe in them and everything, uh, you know, a lot of them, if their lips are moving, they're probably lying. Uh, it's, it's hard uh, to get, you know, something changed. I mean, you look at Cruz and, and stuff, and, you know, hell, he was a member of the inside establishment, you know, and he couldn't get it changed, although he did stand up and, uh, you know, is, is not a really, uh, you know, matter of fact, he's a hated guy in Washington. And you can tell that they hate Trump, too. Um, they hate him just as much as Cruz, probably, uh, you know, more. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens. Um, I don't. I don't think there is such a thing as Mr. Smith goes to Washington anymore, Glenn, and and they get in there and, uh, you know, uh, I won't be compromised. I think they get in there and they get, uh, you know, they get shown the real deal, and once they do their first dirty, dirty backdoor deal, uh, it's it's on, you know, it's on from there. I mean, look at Marco Rubio, perfect example. I mean, we both grew up in Florida, uh, you know. We kind of get an idea of how the how the Sunshine State works, and uh, here you got uh, you know grassroots Marco Rubio. Next thing you know, he gets up there, John McCain, you know these other people get around him, influence him, and everything. And next thing you know, now he's the poster boy for the uh, what is it, Gang of Eight establishment. And, uh, yeah, he's he's the establishment's boy now, and you know, and that's just a big fuck you to everybody who tried to get him you know, get him elected. And that's, you know, that's the reason why he didn't do well. 
Uh, oh, you know, something that just made me feel great is um, I, I was so glad when Bush was out of there. I didn't like his replacement, but I was sick of Bush. And then, then here comes Jeb Bush. <laughs> and he what, he had like, what, $140 million, and he was the – he was the right-wing Hillary, where you know the party and all the insiders and the corruption, they all supported him, and he couldn't get traction because who comes on the scene? Trump, and just destroyed him, called him low energy, and boy, did, was he bumbling. And uh, I thought it was hilarious one day. One of the Trump supporters actually had purchased the domain name, jebbush.com, so he had to use Jeb2016 or something.com for his website. And they went in and changed the settings so that if you typed in JebBush.com, it went to DonaldTrump.com. <laughs> anyway, hey. I'm glad to see that boy go. Glad. Well, dirty politics. Politics is a dirty game, Glenn. I mean, it really is. I mean, uh, you know, that's the you know you look at it. Trump uh, Trump beat out 16 other, uh, you know, 16 other people, and uh, you know that that's pretty strong. That is strong. That's amazing. And I'll tell you what, when Romney came out, I was like, holy crap, I listened to his talk. And, you know, if Rom Romney could have talked that well, well well while he was running. But anyway, he gives this speech, and it was just fascinating to watch. I thought, well, that's the end of Trump's campaign. I didn't get it. Uh, you know, I knew I knew that Trump was committed in the beginning. They said, "Oh, it's all just promotion." And I know he'd always toyed with it for years. As a matter of fact, they've got interviews that go way back. And he said, "You know, he didn't think he wanted to get in politics because it's a dirty game." And he says, "Some of the best people that should be in there will never make it because you got to be dishonest and you got to be bought and all these things." So, as a young man <clears throat> in his twenties, you know, I guess he's like twenty-eight, thirty years old and just having some success in New York City. Um, you know, he was interviewed asking if he'd ever want to be president, and he was like, probably not. And um, I knew he was serious this time. But when Romney came out, I thought, holy crap, I don't think he's going to survive that. The next day I wake up and start listening to the commentary, and it's nothing but backlash. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm like blown away because a lot of times I'm frustrated with the American people, but they're getting this thing. They are sick. They're either for uh, Bernie or Trump because, you know, they're outsiders. And I, I guess that's the theme this year. It's just amazing. I, I, I'm shocked that the, the voters are starting to understand that. Well, they're going to, you know, like I say, it's historic, Glenn. Uh, we need we need to change the course that we're heading on, and we need to do it. We need to do a drastic uh, change of course. And uh, Trump's tapped into that. He has tapped into the people pissed. Uh, they don't want establishment anymore. Um, they don't. They don't want a damn another. They don't want third term of Obama. They don't want another Clinton in the damn White House. They don't want another Bush. They're they're tired of these legacies. Um, you know they want yeah. some dynasties, family okay. dynasties, Bush and yeah. Clinton. Yeah, I mean all these. I mean really. I mean what what the hell? And then How about that Lolita Express going down to Pedophile Island? You got to like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna have to save that for for another yeah. time. <laughs> uh, for next for next uh, week's episode, uh, we are coming to a close here. Uh, appreciate uh, Glenn getting on here, and uh, always love the discussion. And also want to invite anybody that's out there to definitely uh, call in. We are looking for people to, uh, you know, voice your opinions, uh, your, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, uh, not many topics are going to be uh, limited on this uh, podcast. So uh, we definitely want to reach out and, and invite you in. And uh, I think it went pretty good. This was our first uh, podcast, so we will be coming again. Uh, let's see. Next week, uh, sometime, we will schedule it and let you know if you're interested. But, Glenn, I appreciate it, and uh, we will see you, talk to you next week on The Whipping Post with j <laughs> Well, good luck at the drive throughs this week. Yeah. I hope.
I hope they give you the right food and the right change, and and uh, I hope they're competent, including the managers. <laughs> yep. Yes, I hope so too. Well, I'll be in Atlanta this week, so maybe I'll have some great, uh, great stories from uh, Hot Atlanta. So, all right. Well, that's it for us. Thanks again, Glenn. We'll talk to you next week. Take all right, care. Jay Monty. Nice talking to you, buddy. See you. Take care.